You're listening to the Michael J. Crosa Podcast, where I show you what's possible with podcasting. Each episode, I'll share an example of a different style of podcast and point out the unique elements of each one. In this episode, I'll be demonstrating narration, in which a single voice reads a written script or narrative. This is an ideal format for things like audiobooks, news or research articles, storytelling, and so on. I'm going to play a clip that I recorded for the podcast Bob's Short Story Hour. The story is called Andreuccio of Perugia, and it comes from a 14th century Italian book called The Decameron. There's a few things I'd like for you to notice as you listen. First, notice my tone when I'm narrating as the speaker. My goal is to use natural inflection and energy while staying true to the original text and meaning. I also add character voices in order to help maintain clarity. Some of those are subtle, while others are silly, and uh, clearly not what you would hear in 14th century Italy. So, to get in touch about creating a custom podcast for your business, come on over to michaeljcrosa.com. Enjoy! I am told that there was once in Perugia a dealer in horses called Andreuccio de Pietro. He had heard that there was a good horse market in Naples, and so, despite the fact that he had never been away from home before, he put 500 gold florins in his purse and traveled there with some other merchants, arriving one Sunday evening when it was getting dark. The next morning, following the directions given by his host, he went to the market where he saw plenty of horses, many of which he liked to try and buy, but without being able to agree on terms. To demonstrate that he was in a position to do business, he was inexperienced and incautious enough to show his purse and his florins to anyone who happened to pass that way. While he was engaged in these negotiations and making a display of his purse, it happened that a young Sicilian woman, who was very beautiful but quite happy to do whatever a man wanted for a small price, passed by unnoticed, saw his purse, and straight away thought, I'd be richer than anyone if only I had that purse. And so she walked on. With that young woman, there was also an old one, also Sicilian, who, as soon as she saw Andreuccio, left the young woman to carry on walking while she ran and embraced him with great affection. Now the young woman, when she saw this, said nothing, but she went to one side and watched all that was going on. Turning around and recognizing the old woman, Andreuccio made a great fuss of her, and after a few more words, she went off, promising to pay him a visit at his inn. The young woman, who had first seen Andreuccio's purse and then the old woman's familiarity with him, tried to devise some way by which she could relieve him of some or all of his money, and began to inquire cautiously who he was and where he came from and what he was doing there and how the old woman came to know him. She gave such a detailed account of Andreuccio that he could hardly have done better himself, because she had lived for a long time with his father, at first in Sicily and later in Perugia. She mentioned where he was staying and why he had come there. The young woman, now that she was fully informed of his family and all their names, used this knowledge as the basis for a cunning plan to satisfy her greed. When she got home, she gave the old woman a whole day's work to do so that she would not have time to visit Andreuccio. Then she turned to one of her maids for help, someone whom she had well trained in such matters, and as evening was falling, she sent her to the inn where Andreuccio was lodged. When the maidservant arrived at the door of the inn, she happened to find him there by himself, and she asked him where she might find him. When he told her that he was Andreuccio, she took him to one side and said, Sir, a noble lady of this city would like to speak with you if you would be so kind. 
When he heard this, Andreyucho considered himself from top to toe and thought what a handsome chap he was and concluded that this lady must be in love with him, you know, as though there was no other handsome young men in Naples at the time. So he agreed immediately and asked where and when the lady wished to speak with him. The maid answered, Sir, whenever you feel like coming, she will expect you in her home. Andreyucho replied quickly, Well, you go on ahead and I'll follow straight after you. Now, he did not say anything about this at the end. The house to which the maid was leading him was in a district known as Malpertugio, whose name indicates what a nice district it was, but Andreucho, knowing nothing of that and suspecting nothing, but fully believing he was going to a respectable place and a respectable lady, naively followed the maid and entered the house. The maid had already called out to her mistress, Andreucho's here! And he was climbing the stairs when he saw the lady herself on the landing coming to meet him. She was still very young, impressive in appearance, and with a most beautiful face and richly and respectably dressed. As Andreucho approached, she ran down three stairs to meet him with her arms open wide and, clasping him around the neck, she remained a while without speaking, as though overcome with affection. Then, while she wept, she kissed him on the forehead and managed to utter a few halting words, Oh, Andreucho, how glad I am to see you! Andreyucho, amazed, indeed quite stupefied at being greeted so warmly, answered, My lady, I am pleased to meet you. She led him by the hand up to her drawing room and from there, without saying a word, into her bedroom, which was scented with roses, orange blossoms, and other flowers. There he saw a luxuriously curtained bed and many dresses hanging up on pegs, as was the custom in those parts, and other fine, rich things. All of this led him to believe, simple fellow that he was, that she must be a great lady. And once they were seated side by side on a chest at the foot of the bed, this is what she said to him. Andreucho, I'm sure you must be surprised at such embraces and such tears, since you don't recognize me and perhaps have never even heard me spoken of. But you are going to hear something which I must make you wonder all the more, for I am your sister! And I must say, now God has been so kind as to let me see one of my brothers, as I desire to see them all, that whenever I die, I shall not die unconsoled. But since perhaps you've heard nothing of this, I shall explain everything. Pietro, my father and yours, lived for a long time in Palermo, as you well may know, and on account of his kindness and friendliness that he was, and still is, dearly loved by those who knew him there. But... Among all those who loved him so much, my mother, a noble lady who was widowed at the time, was the only one who loved him most. She loved him so deeply that she thrust to one side all considerations for her father and her brothers and her own honor. And she became so friendly with him that I was born, I whom you now see here. Then, while I was still a little girl, Pietro had to leave Palermo and return to Perugia for some reason, and he left me and my mother behind and never, so far as I've heard, thought about either of us again. For this reason, if he were not my father, I would strongly resent his ingratitude to my mother, ignoring for a moment the love he ought to bear me as his daughter and not one born of a servant girl or woman of low birth since she placed herself and her welfare without knowing who he was and moved only by faithful love into his hands. But what good would that do? Wrongs committed in the distant past are much more easily reprehended than amended. I'm just saying how things happened. 
As I say, he left me when I was a little girl in Palermo where I grew up, and my mother, who was wealthy, married me to a man from Girgenti, a kind nobleman, who out of love for my mother and myself came to live in Palermo. He is a staunch Guelph, and he began to conspire with our King Charles. The plot was discovered by King Frederick before it could be carried out, and this resulted in my husband's flight from Sicily, just when I was about to become the greatest lady who ever lived in that island. So, taking with us those few things we could manage, I say few with regard to all of those that we had, and leaving our palaces and lands, we took refuge in this country, where we found King Charles so grateful to us that he made good some of the losses we had endured for his sake, and gave us possessions and houses, and still makes regular provision for my husband, who is your brother-in-law, as you will see." And that is how I came to be here, where, thanks to God and not to you, my dear brother, I have met you. Having said which, she embraced him once more and tenderly kissed his forehead all in tears all over again. Andreucho, hearing this tale, which she had told so coherently and confidently, and with no stumbling and no stammering, and remembering that it was true that his father had been in Palermo, and... Knowing from his own experience what young men were like, only too ready to love when young, and affected by her tender tears, her embraces, and her chaste kisses, had no doubt that she was telling the truth. And as soon as she fell silent, he replied, My lady, you shouldn't be surprised at my amazement. My father, for whatever reason, either never spoke about your mother and you, or if he did, I never heard about it, so I had truly no idea of your existence." But I am all the more pleased to find you in Naples, since I am all alone here and had no hopes of any such thing. To be honest, I don't know any man, however important, who wouldn't be delighted to have such a sister, not to mention a portraiter like myself. But there's one thing you must explain. How did you know I was here? Her answer was, I heard of it only this morning from a poor woman who often comes to visit me because she spent a long time, or so she tells me, with our father in Palermo and Perugia. And were it not that I thought it more seemly for you to come to me here, which you may regard as your own home, than for me to come to you in someone else's, I would have visited you first long before this. Then, without a pause, she started to question him in detail about all his relations, asking after each of them by name. Andreucho replied to everything, and so he came to believe even more firmly something which he would have done well not to believe at all. They had talked for a long time, and it was very warm, so she called for some Greek wine and tidbits and ordered Andreucho to be given something to drink. When he got up to go, since it was time for supper, she would by no means allow it. She made out that she was deeply hurt and clung to him and said, Alas, I see now how little you care about me. Who would believe that you're with a sister never seen before in her home, where you really should have been the instant you arrived, and yet you want to go away and have your supper at your inn? I insist that you eat with me. Although my husband is not here, which I deeply regret, I am sure that I can give you some hospitality, mere woman that I am. Andreucho, not knowing what else to say, replied, You are as dear to me as a sister could be. But if I don't go, there will be people waiting to have supper with me, and I shall have treated them badly. At that, she said, For God's sake, don't you think I've got someone here whom I can send to tell them not to wait for you? In fact, it would be much more courteous if you were to send a message to your companions to come and eat here. And afterwards, 
if you still want to leave, you can all go back together. Andreucho replied that he did not want to be with his companions that evening, but that he would do what he could to please her. She then made a pretense of sending to the inn to say that he was not going to be expected for supper, and after much further conversation, they sat down for supper and were served with many splendid dishes. Cleverly, she made the supper last out until it was completely dark, and when Andreucho rose to go, she said that she would by no means permit that, since Naples was no place to wander about at night, particularly for a stranger. Furthermore, she said that when she had sent word to the inn that he was not going to be expected for supper, she had said that he would be lodging elsewhere also. He believed all this, and since he liked to be with her, he stayed there, deluded as he was by mere appearances. After supper, they had a long conversation, for which she had her own reasons, of course, for getting involved in. When the night was somewhat advanced, she left Andreucho to sleep in her room with a small servant boy to show him where everything was, and she herself went into another room uh, with her maidservants. It was very hot, and so Andreucho, once he was alone, undressed down to his doublet, even taking off his breeches and underclothes, which he placed at the head of the bed. Then, since he naturally wished to relieve himself, he asked where he could do that, and the boy pointed through the door to one corner of the room and said, Through there. Andreucho went through without a thought, and as it happened, he stepped onto a floorboard, which came away from its joist at one end, flew up into the air, and dropped down with him on it. By the grace of God, he did not suffer any injury, although he did fall a long way but he was caked in with all the filth with which that place was full. For your better understanding of what I've said and what is about to happen, I must mention how everything was arranged there. In a narrow alleyway, such as we often find between two houses, some planks with a place to sit had been fixed on two joists running between the houses, and it was from one of these planks that he had fallen. Finding himself down there in the alleyway, Andreucho began to moan and cry out and call for the boy to help him, but the boy, the moment he had heard him fall, had run to tell his mistress. She rushed to the room, looked around for his clothes, and when she found them, found his money too, which he was distrustful and stupid enough to carry around with him. And now that this woman of Palermo, the feigned sister of a Perugian, had obtained the loot for which she had been intriguing, she did not bother about him any longer and went down and closed the door through which he had walked to his downfall. Andreucho, when the boy did not answer, shouted louder and louder, but to no avail. Then, starting to get suspicious and to realize, rather late in the day, how he had been duped, he climbed onto a little wall which shut that alleyway off from the roadway, climbed down into the street, ran to the door of the house, which he recognized well enough, and shouted and pushed at it and banged at it for a long time, to no avail. He saw clearly now what trouble he was in, and he thought, Alas, and next to no time I've lost five hundred florins and a sister. <laughs> He said a lot of other things, too, and began to shout and bang away at the door all over again. In fact, he made so much noise that many of the neighbors got up because they could not endure the disturbance. And one of the ladies' maidservants came to the window, looking all sleepy-eyed, and angrily demanded, Who is it banging away down there? Oh, said Andreucho, don't you recognize me? I'm Andreucho, the lady Fiordaliso's brother. And her answer was, My good fellow, it looks as though you've had too much to drink. Go away and sleep it off and come back tomorrow. I don't know any Andreucho, and I don't understand any of that rigmarole. Be a good chap and go away and let us sleep, please. So, said Andreucho, you don't know what I'm saying? Oh, yes, you do. But if this really is the way it is with relatives in Sicily, discovered suddenly and then in no time forgotten... At least give me back my clothes, which I left with you, and then I promise I'll go away. 
At this, she could hardly keep a straight face and said, My good man, I think you must be dreaming. With one movement, she said this, went inside and slammed the window shut. And Ryucho, who had by now realized the full extent of his losses, was so upset that his anger turned into sheer rage. Deciding that actions speak louder than words, he picked up a large stone and started to hammer the door more fiercely than ever before. Many of the neighbors, who had previously been roused, believing that he was some troublemaker, making up accusations in order to distress a good woman, and themselves distressed by his hammering, reappeared at the windows, and now all the people in the district started to bay at him as though he were a strange dog, and said, This is disgraceful coming here at an hour like this to this good woman's house and talking rubbish. For God's sake, be a good chap and go away. We'd like to get some sleep, if you don't mind. If you really have anything to say to her, come back tomorrow and stop making all this trouble tonight. Encouraged, perhaps by comments like that, a man who was inside the house, in fact the good woman's pimp, whom Andriucho had never seen nor heard before, came to the window and barked at him fiercely, Who's down there? Andriucho raised his head when he heard this and saw someone who, as far as he could make out, looked as though he must have authority, with a thick black beard, yawning and rubbing his eyes as though he had just been roused from a deep sleep. Andriucho, not without some misgivings, replied, I am a brother of the lady who lives there. But, without waiting for Andriucho to finish his sentence, this man said more harshly than ever, I don't know how I'm managing to stop myself from coming down there and thumping you until you can't stand up, you drunken idiot. You won't let any of us sleep. Then he went inside and closed the window. Some of the neighbors, who had a clearer idea of what sort of man this was, whispered to Andreucho, For the love of God, dear chap, clear off. You'll get yourself killed. Clear off. If you know what's good for you. So then Andreucho, the most wretched person in the world, and with no hope of recovering his money, but terrified by the man's voice and appearance, and taking to heart those encouraging words which seemed to him well-meaning, set off towards his inn, not knowing where he was going, but retracing the steps he had taken that day with the maidservant. However, he was himself disgusted by the stench that came from him, and he wanted to get to the sea to have a wash, and so he turned left and started along a street known as the Rua Catalana. And as he was climbing to the upper part of the city, he happened to see two men coming towards him carrying a lantern. Afraid that they might be men of the watch or other evildoers, he tried to escape them by quickly taking refuge in a hovel, which he saw nearby. But the two men, as though it had been their aim all along, came into the same hovel. Once inside, one of them threw down some tools which he had over his shoulder, and both of them began to examine them and comment on them in various ways. In the middle of their discussions, one of them exclaimed, "'What's going on here? This is the worst stank I've ever come across!' They lifted the lamp up and saw poor old Andreucho, and cried out in amazement, "'Who's there?' Andreucho did not reply at first, but when they brought the lamp near and demanded to know what he was doing there, all filthy as he was, he told them everything that had happened. Having a very good idea where this had taken place, they said to each other, "'This must have been in the house of that thief, but a Fuoko.' Then one of them turned to him and said, Although you've lost your money, mate, you've still got to thank God for that when you fell down that you couldn't get back into the house. If you hadn't fallen, take my word for it. As soon as you were asleep, you'd have been clobbered and lost your life as well as your cash. Anyway, what's the use of worrying? You've as much chance of pulling the stars out of the sky as you got getting a single penny back. You're a dead man, all right, if he gets to hear you've breathed a word of this. The two men discussed something further and then said to him, 
look. Now, we both feel sorry for you. Now, if you'll join us in a job we're about to do, we reckon your share of the proceeds will come to much more than you've lost. Andreucho was so desperate by this time that he agreed to go along with them. That day, a certain Filippo Munutolo, Archbishop of Naples, had been buried, together with rich accoutrement and a ruby ring on his finger worth more than 500 gold florins. So, as they explained to Andreucho, they were on their way to steal these goods. Andreucho, his greed getting the better of his reason, went along with him. As they were on the way to the cathedral, with Andreucho still stinking very strongly, one of them said, Can't we find some way this fellow can have a bit of a wash somewhere or other? He's given off a tremendous stench. The other answered, Why not? There's a well nearby which always has a pulley and a big bucket. Let's go there and give him a quick wash. When they got to this well, they found that the rope was there, but the bucket had been removed. So they decided to tie him to the rope and let him down to the well, and once he had a wash, he could tug on the rope and they would draw him up. And this is what they did. It happened that when they had let him down, some men of the watch, thirsty because of the great heat and because they had been running after someone, came to the well to drink. When the two villains saw them, they immediately ran off, unobserved by those men of the watch. Down to the bottom of the well, Andreucho had by now washed himself, and he tugged at the rope. The thirsty men above, having laid down their shields and arms and taken off their tunics, started to pull on the rope, thinking that it was attached to a bucket full of water. As Andreucho came near the top of the well, he let go of the rope, threw himself onto the ledge, and clutched it with both hands. When the men of the watch saw this, they panicked, and without saying a word, they dropped the rope and ran away as fast as they could. Andreucho was amazed at this, and if he had not held on firmly, he could have fallen right down to the bottom of the well, and not without serious injury or even death. Instead, when he had climbed out and seen the weapons lying around, which he knew did not belong to his companions, he was even more amazed. Full of fear, but not knowing it was he that was frightened of, and bewailing his bad luck, he decided to go away without touching anything. So off he went, with no idea where he was heading for. Then he came across those two companions of his, coming back to pull him out of the well. They were amazed to see him, and wanted to know who had rescued him. Andreucho could not tell them, but he mentioned what had happened and what he had found outside the well. They realized the truth, and laughed as they told him why they had run away, and who those men were who had pulled him up. Then, without further conversation, since it was already midnight, they went to the cathedral, which they had entered without any difficulty, and arrived at the tomb. It was large and made of marble. With their crowbars, they managed to raise the heavy lid just enough to allow a man to get in, and propped it up. When this was done, one of them asked, "'Who's going in?' To which the other replied, "'I'm not. Neither am I. But Andreucho could.' "'I'm not doing that,' said Andreucho. Then both of them turned on him, saying, "'Why not?' "'Good God, if you don't, we'll bash you in with these crowbars till you're a dead man.' They frightened Andreucho so much that he did go in. But once he was there, he thought, They've made me get in, they'll betray me. Once I've passed everything out to them, and while I'm trying to get out myself, they'll clear off and look after themselves while I'll be left with nothing. So he decided the first thing to do was to take his own share. Remembering the precious ring he had heard them talking of, he took it from the archbishop's finger and stowed it away on his person. Then he passed out the crossier the mitre in the gloves, and, having stripped the archbishop down to his shirt, he told them that there was nothing more there. They said the ring must be there, and told him to search everywhere for it, but he still said he could not find it, and, pretending to make a search, he kept them waiting for some time. 
but they were every bit as cunning as he was, and while continuing to say that he must carry on looking, they seized their moment, removed the prop which was holding up the lid of the tomb, and ran away, leaving him trapped inside. Imagine how that felt when he heard them do that. Again and again, he tried to lift the lid, using both his head and his shoulders, but all his efforts came to nothing. Overcome by distress, he fell down in a faint on the dead body of the archbishop. Anyone who had happened to see them then would have been hard put to say which one was the dead body. And when he came to himself, he burst into tears, for he could only foresee two possible outcomes. If no one came to open the tomb, he would die among the maggots on the dead body, killed by hunger and the stench. Or, if someone did come and find him inside, he would be hanged as a thief. While he was engaged in such gloomy thoughts, he heard a lot of people moving through the church and talking, and he realized that they were coming to do what he and his companions had already done, and this made him even more afraid. But when the tomb was reopened and the lid propped up once more, the question again arose of who should go in, and no one wanted to. It was only after a long argument that a priest said, What are you afraid of? Do you think he'll eat you? The dead don't eat the living. I'll be the one to go in. He leant his chest against the edge of the tomb, twisted around, and put his legs in so that he could drop down. When he saw this, Andreucho stood up, gripped the priest by one of his legs, and made as though he were trying to pull him in. The moment he felt this, the priest let out an enormous shriek and threw himself out of the tomb. This terrified the rest of the thieves so much that they fled away as though they were being pursued by ten thousand devils, leaving the tomb open. Now, Andreucho was delighted, beyond his wildest dreams, and immediately he scrambled out of the tomb and left the church the same way he had entered it. He wandered off with that ring on his finger, and dawn was approaching by the time he came down to the waterfront and happened to stumble upon his inn, where he found that his companions and the innkeeper had spent the night worrying over him. Having told them all that had occurred, he took the advice of the innkeeper and left Naples immediately and returned to Perugia. The ring provided him the money with which he had gone to buy horses. I hope that you enjoyed listening to this episode. And if it gave you any ideas about how you might be able to benefit from such a podcast, I hope you'll get in touch. Come on over to MichaelJCrosa.com. Proud member of the Podnuga Network.